Do you ever any of those words that are really hard to say? You know, like some words in the English language are difficult. Um, not just because you don't like them, but they just sound weird coming out of your mouth. Uh, everyone's got some of those words, I think. I, I actually looked up and found a list of like 30 words that are hard to say, and I picked a couple of my favorites. Number one, com- com- comfortable. Comfort- we say comfortable, right? Which is not, it's, we leave the fort right out. Comfortable. That's the word. Anyway, so you, I don't know if you say that one right or wrong. Uh, this is another word that people say wrong, cavalry. Uh, people say cavalry, which is where Jesus died on a hill. Uh, cavalry is something to do with horses and soldiers or whatever. So cavalry. Um, number three, uh, anemone. Yeah, this is very Finding Nemo, right? Like this is what I always think of. Anemone. Unfortunately, I don't have to say that word very often. It doesn't come up in conversation very much. But that is definitely one. Uh, how about this one? How do we say it? There's a, there's a weird R in the middle of that word, isn't there? Like, can we just take it right out? Like, I move that we just pull it. Why is it February? Why isn't it just February like the rest of us say it? I don't know. It's weird. Um, and then this one, you can say it. You all sound silly saying it. Like, I didn't, want, I didn't want to say it because I'd sound so dumb saying it. But it's so r- rural. R- <laughs> this is why I planted church in the city so I wouldn't have to say words like this. I don't. Uh, rural. Um, it's just a weird word, right? That that uh, it, there are there there are plenty of them that sound weird coming out of your mouth. There's other ones you just don't like the word, the way it sounds. Words like moist. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, but but I was thinking through because I was thinking about the word that I want to talk about today. I think is a very hard word for us to say, not because. It's hard to form the word in your mouth, but it's very hard to say because when we say this word, it kicks up all sorts of emotion in us. And the word is sorry. Sorry. When we say sorry, it's difficult because there's guilt that, that we're admitting to. There's something we're, we're saying, oh, no, I, I, it, 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 that word carries a lot with it, right? It's saying, like, I've blown it. I feel bad about that. I want to fix it. Maybe something like that. I mean, I guess it depends on how you say it. I've, I've certainly had children say to me, sorry, and I'm like, I don't think you get it. That's not what that means. Um, but uh, I, I want us to talk through that word today because we've been in this series where we're talking about prayer and how we pray. And with the series called Lord Teach Us to Pray, and we're looking at different ways that we can pray because a lot of us pray a lot of Americans claim to pray, but we end up praying for, we kind of get into prayer rut where we pray for the same sorts of things. We pray to be safe. We pray for health. We pray for a sickness that someone has. We pray to, to be safe when we travel. Basically, like health, safety, security, safety, security. In the, in the healthiest, like one of the healthiest, safest countries in the world, we pray all the time that we'd be safe and we would be secure. And, and I don't think it's bad to pray for those things. We're, prayer is effectively, you know, a, a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And it's okay to go to your Heavenly Father and pray about whatever's on your mind. If you're concerned about your aunt's broken arm or whatever, you absolutely pray for that. That's fine. I have children, and I don't get tired of them coming to me um, if they want to talk about something. Now, when they talk about Minecraft or when they used to talk about Minecraft, I did get tired of that. But generally... Um, if they're coming to me and saying, hey, let's, you know, here's a concern I have or whatever, okay, let's talk about it. Uh, how much more so our Heavenly Father, He wants to hear us pray. But what I wanted to do in this series was give you some other words and some other ways to think about prayer. So we've talked about things like gratitude. What are prayers of thanks that we can pray? Uh, Topher last week when I was gone, he, he talked about, wow, just this, how do we go to God and say, man, I just appreciate and adore you for what you've done here. And, and, and how do we notice 
God's works in the world and, and bring those to him in prayer. And so today I want to talk about prayers of confession when we go to God and say, man, I'm sorry, and, I, and I've blown it, because that is a thing that we can do in prayer, and it's actually a good thing for us to do. Now, this series is called Lord's Teach Us to Pray, and we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. The weird thing about this topic today is Jesus never really had to say, I'm sorry. You say you're sorry when you've sinned, when you've blown it, when you've messed up. Jesus didn't actually do that. He's the only person in humanity that could claim that he never sinned, and it'd actually be true. And so he never sinned, so you don't see Jesus modeling for us a bunch of I'm sorry kind of prayers. The closest you might get is the Lord's Prayer that we just read where he says, as he's modeling it for us, we should pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, or forgive us uh, how we have blown it, and, and we will forgive the people who have blown it against us. Um, but he, he doesn't really model a I'm sorry prayer. But we do, fortunately in the Bible, have the record of a lot of people who blew it and, and a lot of people who are messed up. The Bible is not a story of a bunch of heroes. Mostly it's villains or it's like people who are heroes and villains and the same person. And so I want us to read today a guy, an ancient story of a guy who blew it. Um, and his name's David and he's King David and he was the king of Israel in about the year 1000 B.C. And he wrote the Psalms. And the Psalms are right in the middle of a Bible. If you were to open a Bible and go to the middle, you'd find the Psalms. The Psalms are a book of songs that he wrote, primarily David. He wrote these, and they express a wide range of human emotions. And they're used for all sorts of contexts within in, in ancient Israel. And so he wrote these Psalms, and Psalm 51 is a prayer where he says, I'm sorry, and it's a confession. And I want us to look at it closely. But in order to 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 get into that, I want you to know why he wrote it. So if you've ever, remember that old show on like that old VH1 storytellers where they would like explain why they wrote the song, they'd have someone play their music and Neil Diamond or whatever would like say, here's how I wrote Sweet Caroline or whatever. So um, I want to do that, like here's behind the psalm, Psalm 51, I want to tell you the story behind it, why he wrote it. So to back up, let me, let me tell you this, it, it, David ruled over Israel in, in about the year 1000 B.C., and um, one night, he was out on his balcony. Now, the city of David, if you go to Jerusalem today, they have an area called the city of David. The city of David, it, Jerusalem's on hills. Um, at the top of the hill is the temple. But going down a pretty steep hill, toward, down towards the valley, uh, is what's called the original kind of footprint of the city of Jerusalem called the city of David. And if you go there even today, what you'll see is because it's on a steep hill, there's all these houses built there. And if you were to stand out on the roof of one of those houses, you can see the roofs of a bunch of other houses all around you. And it would be not an uncommon thing to be out there, you know, hang out your washing or whatever. Well, David's out there one night, and he sees this woman bathing on the rooftop of a house nearby him. And he's the king, and he looks at her, and he's like, man, she looks pretty good. And so he's, uh, he's, he gets pretty excited about this. I would not say it's love at first sight. It's definitely lust at first sight. Uh, he sees her bathing out there, and, he, and he's like, you know what? I'm the king. If I want her, I can have her. So he sends for her, and she comes to him, and then he ends up sleeping with her in his palace. Um, this is a problem on many levels. One, because he's the king, and he's taking something that doesn't belong to him. Two, she's a married woman, so that's a problem as well. And then the third problem that happens in this situation is that she gets pregnant. So she comes to him, and she's like, I'm pregnant. So David thinks he's gotten away with sleeping with this, this attractive woman, and she's like, actually, we created a baby here. So David comes up with a plan. Here's how I'm going to solve this problem. Uh, 
Bathsheba is her name. Her husband is Uriah. Uriah is one of David's soldiers fighting out in battle, one of, one of his commanders. And so David sends for Uriah off the battlefield and brings him back to Jerusalem. And he brings him in. He's like, Uriah, you've been doing such a great job. So good to see you. And they kind of hang out. And he sends Uriah home. He's like, you know, why don't you take a break from fighting on the front lines? Go home, hang out with your wife, and then, uh, and then you can go back to battle. Well, David's plan is that Uriah's going to go home, sleep with his wife, and then, and then when the baby comes along, he can be like, actually, it's Uriah's baby, even though it doesn't look anything like Uriah. You know, like that was the plan. So the problem with the plan is Uriah is such an honorable man that he's like, you know what, I'm not going to sleep with my wife and enjoy my domestic life when the soldiers that I command are fighting the battle right now and they're like sleeping in tents and on a rock and all that kind of stuff, like I, it's not fair for me to enjoy that while they're on the front lines. So he doesn't sleep with his wife. And now David has a problem. Man, all I wanted this guy to do was come home and sleep with his wife so that we could cover up the baby thing. So uh, David comes up with the next plan, which is I'm gonna let the other commanders know on the front lines that I want Uriah to be killed. So he sends a message ahead and he says, look, uh, when Uriah is fighting in battle, I want everyone to just kind of quietly back away from him and let him get killed there on the front lines. So that's what happens. Uriah is killed um, in, in that way. And then Bathsheba's now a widow and David's like, why don't you come live with me? And so Bathsheba moves into the king's palace and becomes one of his wives. And uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a messed up story. If you're keeping score at home of all the things David did wrong in this story, it is like a whirlwind tour through breaking the Ten Commandments or like the seven deadly sins, right? Because it's like he lusted after her. In his pride, he said, I deserve that. He envied something that wasn't his. It was his, his neighbor's wife, basically. Um, he did all that. He lied to Uriah about why he was there when he brought him back. When Uriah didn't go for it, he then had Uriah killed. So you have like lust, envy, pride, murder. Um, he's basically working through Kevin Spacey's seven uh, in, in this one story, right? So it's bad. It's, 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 a, messed up, it's a messed up thing that he's done and, and the way he's tried, tried to cover it up. And he thinks he gets away with it. He goes on with his life. He's like, all right, well, she's here. She gives birth to a son, and he's like, all right, this is going to be fine. And, but God knows what he did. And God sends a guy named Nathan, and Nathan's a prophet in Israel, and God says to Nathan, I want you to go talk to David and tell him off. And so Nathan gets in front of David, gets in front of the king, and he basically gives him a little mini sermon and a little illustration, and he confronts David and says, hey, you are the guy. You have blown it. You have taken something that didn't belong to you and you have sinned, and, and he just kind of levels David, right? And David is really distraught, and we get a little window into how David felt about it in, in 2 Samuel, where this is recorded. Let me read to you 2 Samuel 12. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, so he's acknowledging what he's done. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a dark pronouncement over, over David for, for what he did. That is the backdrop to Psalm 51. When we get to Psalm 51, we read how David was feeling. Because somewhere in the next couple days, so he prays and he fasts and he kind of goes before God. And somewhere in that, he writes Psalm 51, which is what we're going to read. And, and it is a very good psalm of confession and saying we're sorry before God. So let me put it up on the screen for you. We'll start 
We'll start there at the beginning. Uh, it gives some notes here. To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So the reason I know that this psalm was written about David and how he was feeling about his situation with Nathan and Bathsheba is because it tells us. See, isn't that helpful? I didn't even need like a Bible degree or whatever to know that. Like it says right at the beginning of the psalm, this is what this one was about, which is really helpful, right? So it gives us this clue. Listen to what he says. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David's honest here, right? He basically says, I've blown it. God have mercy on me. I, I messed this thing up. He acknowledges that he's a sinner. He says, uh, he, he says in verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, I don't know if that's right, David. I don't know that you recognize that your sin is ever before you. I don't think you know your transgressions. In fact, I don't think you knew it until Nathan came and pointed it out. So really, and you could ask this, right? Are you sorry for what you did? Or are you sorry that you got caught? Because it sounds like you're sorry that you got caught, right? Kind of seems that way. But then I thought about it some more, and I thought, you know what? The truth is our sin is always before us. When we've blown it, we know it. Even if you're the kind of person today who's like, I don't even know if I believe this concept of sin, this very churchy thing. I don't know if I'm in on that. But even you know, yeah, I've blown it sometimes. I've done things I'm not proud of. Of my own standard, I have fallen short of it, whatever my standard is. There have been times I've done things the opposite of what I believe, and, I, and, I've, and I've messed some things up. So we know our sin is ever before us. We're, we're aware, it, and, and he's... He's feeling it, right? It's like a splinter in his mind. It's, it's always just kind of there. And so if we're in that situation, if we've sinned, how do we, how do we become free of that? How are we free of the guilt? How do we become free of that pain? How do, we, how do we honestly just get before God and say, this is who I am, this is what's going on? And how do we say sorry to him in our prayers? Number one, we need to do a fearless moral inventory. If you're familiar with any recovery addiction programs like NA or AA or any of that, one of the steps that they make you do in the 12 steps of recovery is a fearless moral inventory. And basically what that is is you got to own your stuff. you got to acknowledge this is what I've done, this is where I blew it, this is mistakes that I've made, this is how I have sinned, and you write it out and you go through, here's things that happened, here's things I said, and then you take a step which is really hard where you say like, what responsibility do I have in this? How did I contribute to this? You own absolutely everything that you can. And you say, this is my sin. And I, and I see David doing that here. He's saying, I have, I have sinned. I have blown it. He doesn't say, oh, but wait, and oh, it was her fault, and she shouldn't have been bathing there, and blah, blah, blah. No, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He says, no, this is, my, this is my stuff. And so when you say sorry to God in prayer, you start by saying, this is actually what I've, what I've done. This is a key piece, not just for our prayers, but for our transformation, if you're going to grow, if you're going to become something, if you're going to change, um, you're going to have to do this kind of thing. 
Um, you, you have to do this fearless moral inventory. Now, if you don't like the results you're getting in your life, pick any area of your life. You say, oh, I'm stuck and things aren't going well for me. Um, chances are you, you, haven't, you haven't done this yet. Because when you, when you do a fearless moral inventory, when you say, this is my stuff, this is what I've done, you are getting very clear about where you are. And you're not going to get anywhere until you understand where you are starting from. And so it's, it's, it's a key element of change and transformation is you have to know where you want to go and you have to know where you are. And this fearless moral inventory, being honest about who we are, naming our sins, even writing it down, helps us know where we are so we know what actually needs to change. People come up to me, Chris, I just want to, I just want to change. And the obvious follow-up question to that is change from what and to what? What are you trying to become? What are you, what are you that you want to switch? And part of the way we do that is we, we take an inventory of our lives and, and be honest about who we are. We have, you and I, we have a tremendous capacity for self-deception. It's a famous quote from a, a graduation speech that Richard Feynman gave where he said, the, the, uh, you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Right? It's key for us. We've got to be honest about who we are and, and, and where we're going. So, and, and, and that's what David does. He's honest about his sin. Um, he knows his transgression. He knows what he's saying sorry for. Do you remember that song from the British boy band, Take That? That was from the 90s. You don't want to acknowledge that you know a song from a British boy band from the 90s, so I'm just going to, we'll, we'll just keep going. But they had a song, um, and, and I'll sing it for you, and you'll know it. It's called Back for Good. And um, you may not recognize it by that title, but the chorus of the song, it's just stuck in my head. It's one of those that like comes on, you're like at Target or something, you hear the song in the background, you're like, oh yeah, I know that song. And it's like, and the chorus is like, whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. Let's think about that for a second. <laughs> my wife heard that and she's like, that is the worst excuse for an apology I have ever heard. <laughs> like, Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I don't know what it was, but um, it was, I guess it was bad because you're upset. I didn't mean it. Just how does that play in any relationship that you're in? Hey, babe, uh, sorry, you know, whatever it was I said that made you mad, I'm sorry about the thing that made you mad. Or like the classic, like, hey, babe, if there was two ways to take the way I said the thing and you took one that made you mad, I meant the other one. Like that doesn't work, right? You can't. Go to another human and be like, and your sorry sounds like, I don't know, whatever I did, sorry. That doesn't, you sound like, sorry. Like, that doesn't work. That's not how relationships are. If it's going to, if you're going to say sorry and mean it, you got to know what you did. And you got to say, oh, I can, I actually see how this was a thing. And therefore, I'm sorry that, that it happened and sorry for my, my, my part in that. So, so get real about your sin, the fearless moral inventory. Take time to reflect. We've talked in the past couple weeks about writing down things you're grateful for, things, moments of wonder, things, you, th- th- things that bring joy. Write these things down daily, I think. And maybe after you've written down things you're grateful for, write down something that you need to say sorry about. God, yesterday I did this. Yesterday I blew it. Yesterday I said this. Yesterday I thought this. Yesterday I looked at this. Like, write those things down. Here's what I've experienced. When you write down your sins, they get real, real quick. It's one thing to have it bouncing around in your head. Oh, yeah, I did that thing. That wasn't that bad. I guess glad no one saw that. When you write it down, 
you're sitting there like, I hope nobody sees my journal. I just wrote that down. That just got real. I actually did that thing. It's on ink and everything, like it's on paper. When we do that, um, it becomes more real to us. And, and we can start to change and grow from that when we get honest about what the thing is. Here's next level for you. Ask someone else to get honest about your sins. I mean, nobody wants to sign up for that. Ask someone else, because other people see your stuff. You have blind spots. I have blind spots. Other people see them. You go, hey, you know, help me out. I'm struggling with this, this, and this. And they'll be like, yeah, maybe this. And That's one of the things I've noticed about being married is that being married showed me how selfish I am. Like, real quick, like day one of being married, I remember I learned how when I was playing video games, my wife wanted me to come to dinner. I was like, ah, oh, let me finish this round. And then I get mad when my kids say that to me now. Weird. That just occurred to me. <laughs> um, but you find, out how, you find out how selfish you are when you're married. When you have children, you find out what a hypocrite you are because you tell them, like, don't have too much chocolate. It's bad for you. And then they're like, why are you having so much chocolate? And I'm like, it's not bad for me. I don't know. I think, it's, I think I'm fine. I think it's only bad for small people. I don't know. Like, you realize, man, I'm just such a hypocrite. Like, and they see through that stuff and they call it out. There's something about people around you who are close to you calling your stuff out. And you can do that in a performance review at work. You don't need to be married to do it. You can certainly, a, a trusted friend, to go to them and say, hey, like, here's some things I'm struggling with or whatever. Like, what do you see? And then see what they say. Um, if, you're, if you're brave, that could be a great thing. If you're in a discipleship relationship with someone here in church and say, hey, I'm trying to grow in my faith. What about this and this and this? And here are the stuff, here's the stuff that I've got going on. Let, let other people speak into it as well. Um, it, 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 uh, it's not fun, but it helps you grow, and that's a good thing. So number one, do this fearless moral inventory. Number two, confess your sins to God, yourself, and to others. Look back with me at Psalm 51. I don't know if this jumped out at you because it jumped out at me. Psalm 51, verse 4, David says this, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I read that and I thought, nah-uh. Against you, you're talking to God. Against you and you only have I sinned? I don't even have, I wasn't even there and I can make a list of people you sinned against in this situation. Bathsheba would be the first one. Her husband, you also sinned against. The generals that you made them off one of their, you know, fellow soldiers. The other people that you have lie covering up. Like, this is a mess. You can't honestly say, God, I... I only sinned against you in this situation. So why does he say that? Commentators will say, and I, and, and I looked at this, commentators will say, at the end of the day, David is saying, um, I have broken your laws. I have, I have broken your heart, God, not just the relationships around me. There's something greater going on here when I sin. It's not just a brokenness between me and someone else. I have broken something between me and you. If, if for no other reason that his sin against Bathsheba is a sin against God because Bathsheba is God's child, and if you sin against my kids, you sin against me. So if, if for no other reason there's that, but, he, but he, he acknowledges, man, I have sinned against you, Lord. And he said, I have done what is evil in your sight. That's an important phrase. I've done what's evil in your sight. Because when we blow it, a lot of times we think, well, I've done what is evil in my own sight. Like, I've, I've, I have a standard and I didn't meet up to it. Or, 
you know, your dad will tell you, you shouldn't have done that. Your mom will say, that's not a thing you should be doing, or a friend will call you out or whatever. Everyone else has got a standard for you that you're not living up to. And so you could be doing evil in their sight, I suppose. But the key for us in our prayers of, of saying I'm sorry and the key for our, our healing and transformation and our growth is that we go, actually, this is really that bad. I really have sinned not just against these other people but against God. I've done what's evil in your sight. Who cares about my standard of what's evil and right and wrong? Yours is the one that matters, and I've broken something here. There's a bigger significance because so often we think our sins are not a big deal if we got away with them or if they're just with us and it doesn't really affect anybody and it's in secret and no one knows and it's not a big deal. No, we are, we are breaking something in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and we need to understand how, how significant that, that really is, and, and we need to dial into that. Um, so get real when we sin and say, God, I'm doing wrong not just against someone in your creation, but I'm doing wrong against, against you. Um, David says he's sorry. He acknowledges his guilt before God. And he asks God for healing and cleansing and forgiveness. And he, he has to ask God for those things because he has to also acknowledge who he's sinning against. He, he can go to Bathsheba and ask for forgiveness. And maybe he did. Maybe he goes to Bathsheba and is like, yo, girl, that was bad and I'm really sorry. Like I blew that whole thing. I hope he doesn't go to her and be like, whatever I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> whatever I said, I, was probably, I didn't mean it. Like I, he goes to her and says, uh, I, that, I was really, I, I, I blew that. And she might say, I forgive you for violating me and murdering my husband. She may do that. But there's going to be something unsatisfying even in that in David's soul. She, she can't absolve him of what he did. She can say, I forgive you. But that's going to bother him for life. He'll always know what he did. And it'll always stick with him. And so where do you go with that? You could confess his sins to her. And she might offer forgiveness. You know, in modern psychology, we would look at David and go, okay, you went to Bathsheba, maybe. She said, I forgive you. You need to move on. And 20 years later, David's like, yeah, but it still bothers me what I did. And we would be like, David, you just need to forgive yourself. That's what you need to do. Forgive yourself. If you would just forgive yourself, you'll be fine. That's very, very modern psychotherapy, right? We would kind of say that. But here's the thing. The Bible never tells us to forgive ourselves. It tells us to forgive other people, forgive us our debts, forgive how we have messed up God and for, and as we forgive our debtors. So we're supposed to forgive other people 70 times 7, Jesus says. Just keep forgiving other people. And we're supposed to receive God's forgiveness. We're not called to forgive ourselves. Now, I know why we say it, because we want to deal with our sense of shame. I understand that. But I think we actually need to go to God and ask him to forgive us. And David needed to as well. I can't absolve me of my sins, but God can speak into those things and bring healing into my life and, and offer me forgiveness. So if a Christian says to me, man, I just need to forgive myself, what I want to say is, no, you don't. You need to ask God to forgive you or accept that God has forgiven you and, and that he loves you. So we confess our sins to God, to ourselves, I think, and get honest about who, who we are, um, and we confess them to other people. When we say, I'm sorry, we, we can ask God for forgiveness, but it may be helpful also to say, hey, this is what I've done to other people. Jesus envisions a church when he starts the church. 
He envisions a community where we would be real enough with each other to say what's going on in our lives, where we would say, hey, I'm sorry, or hey, I've blown it, or hey, this is what I've been doing. Jesus' brother James, who was initially very much a skeptic of his brother Jesus, James started out as a skeptic, didn't believe Jesus, came back from the dead, all that, and then he like totally changes his life and becomes a, a strong leader in the church. Listen to what James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, one another that you may be healed. We're supposed to speak up to one another about what's going on. Hey, this is what I've been doing, I've been blowing it. Why? James says, so that you may be healed. There's actually healing that's, that's supposed to happen. Now, there's a challenge with that. If you're going to confess your sins and say sorry, or, or just say this is what I'm getting honest about it, if you're going to say, uh, here's what I've done to God, here's what I've done to yourself, if you say it just to yourself, or you say it to another person, which of those three is the hardest to do? Probably the last one, right? Saying it to another person. Because a lot of us would be like, you know what, Chris, I don't need to confess to another person. I'll just keep it between me and God. We're good. And I get why we say that. But the reality is when we speak up to another human being and we say, this is what I've done, that changes us. This is where the work, this is where the healing begins. Especially if that person can walk with you from a gracious place and say, hey, you know, you're loved, you're forgiven, let's pray about it together, and, and let's walk down the road of healing we do that, we start to change. We change because I don't want to confess the same things to the same person month after month. I don't want to go back to my friend and be like, yeah, I did that again, right? There's something about that, that confessing our sins to one another that helps us in the healing process. It's hard to do, but if we do it, we can be healed. So we pray, we ask for God's help, and when we confess, we ask God. and, and then we confess, and he begins to do healing in our lives. Um, listen to how David goes on in the Psalm 51 there after he's said, Here, here's what I've done. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold, with me, uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, help me to be clean again. And he speaks these words of repentance. I'm turning, turning away and... and, and and God, I'm asking you, make me right again. Heal me. Make me whole. Create in me this clean heart um, because I have soiled it. I have made a mess. Um, we're all walking around with messes that we've made. Uh, one of the hardest things about working in a church is that you know the messes people make. Um, I tell people when they come on staff at a church, like, all right, um, you're about to find out people's secrets. Because what we do is we pretend we're good. We act like things are fine. So you see people at church show up, whatever, maybe it's on Sunday, whatever, like, hey, how you doing? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Me too. I'm good. Good. Good to see you. And then we move on. When behind that good is a whole world of stuff, pain, hurt, and you're like, ah, they don't have time to listen to it or whatever. But when we continue to do that, when we don't put ourselves in a small group, in a discipleship relationship, in, a, in a, an A10U class, or just somewhere where we can start to get to know people, when we refuse to be known and, and to know others, uh, we don't get the healing that, that God is, wants for us. 
we don't, we don't get the transformation because we're all over there pretending to be good. And one of the things I've noticed working in the church is I find out when people aren't good, I get that call. And I sit with couples who have burned it down in their relationships or single people or just people all over the spectrum and I see where the brokenness is. And we listen and we talk, I listen and we talk and, um, and the people that I've seen recover from the brokenness are the people who are willing to get Psalm 51 honest about their stuff, to say, actually, I really have blown it this bad and it was this bad and here's who I've hurt and I've sinned against God and these other people and I want to be healed and I, and, and I want a clean heart. The people who are willing to get that honest are the people that turn the corner and actually heal. So let me ask you this, and then we're done. Is there an area of your life where you need to say sorry to God? Is there a prayer you could pray today? God, I am sorry for, do you have something that's real present for you this, this week, maybe yesterday, maybe even today? Those are hard words to say, even to God. But say them, and then maybe confess those things to a, a trusted friend. And then one more element, if you've never said sorry to God, if that's like a new concept to you, if you've never come to him and said, I have blown it, God, please make me well and heal me, um, I want to offer you the chance to do that because as we come to Christ, as we, as we learn from him, as we grow in our, uh, our understanding of him, we come to this place where we go, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like there was a time that I'm outside of the Jesus thing, but I want in. And, 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 and when that happens, we believe in him, we confess our faith, we repent of our sins, and we are baptized in him. We are immersed in water. People come to Christ, this is what they do. They get immersed into water, um, and they come out of the water, and they are uh, born again. They, they, are, they have a do-over. They are a new person. And if you've never done that, if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to write on your connection card, check the box about baptism. We will reach out and contact you. Let's go to the James River this week and baptize you. We can, get it, we can get it done, and you can start walking down that road because God promises when you give your life to him and you are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and, and your sins are forgiven. These things are wiped away, and you are made clean. So if you've never made that decision, this is a perfect week, uh, perfect week to, to do that. Let's, uh, let's do that as a, way of, as, a, as a first step maybe in saying sorry to God, and then let's pray prayers of sorry as well. Let's pray. God, you know our hearts. You know who we are when we are pretending. Um, you know what is real in us and when we are fake. So God, I pray that um, in this process we just can get more gut level honest with ourselves, with others, with you, and that we can pray prayers of sorry and take account for the sins that we commit and, um, and confess them to you. God, you heal us, you promise to heal us and, and to bring us, in, to, be, uh, to sanctify us, to help us become more whole people. And I pray you do your work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.